two uncomfortable things. I don't do that recording and I don't do the clicker, but I will try. So I just wanted to share today with you some things that have been going on in my heart for a number of months. And um, I mentioned to you the word that God gave, I felt, for this year, just short and sweet, that this would be a year of clarity, that wherever you need clarity um, and you, you had just a muddiness, like, well, I don't know if I should do that, don't know if I should go there, don't know what about this, what about that, where you've just been kind of swirling, not been able to settle on something, this is going to be the year where God is going to give clarity. It's just going to come clear. You're going to know what to do. You're going to know why you're doing it. You're going to know where to go and where to step and where not to step. So, um, and then, you know, we prophesied that word. You guys received that. And, um, and so, for me, that word of clarity, I've been trying to receive that and pray that over our little forge house church that meets in a building here, right? So when I'm talking about clarity for us, um, what is, is coming clear to me in a greater way is that um, a, there's a common spiritual DNA, a common factor that should shape for any body of Christ, however large or however small, that that unique factor, that unique DNA, DNA should shape our ultimate contribution to the kingdom together. Okay? So that's kind of the basic premise that I'm going on, is that God intends, and I'll, I'll unpack that and tell you why I believe that's true. And we can do a lot of good things, but not necessarily be doing the good thing that God has for us to be doing as a foundation where everything else springs up out of it, if we don't understand with clarity what is that DNA, that, that common spiritual DNA that we pack within this church. So God loves uniqueness. Well, now I already missed two of these. Someone punch this. Punch twice. <laughs> I should so not do that. Okay. All right, here we stop there. All right, so God loves uniqueness, all right, variety. Look at an aquarium and walk in there and just go, oh, my gosh, how many colors, how many stripes, how many different ways that can he make things look and move and all of that, right? No two snowflakes alike. No two fingerprints alike. I mean, he's just a God who has no end. That's why we can go to heaven and never be bored because it's going to be the continual, ongoing, never-ending revelation of the unfathomable depths of God right? So we should then not expect him to be a cloning God where he just says, this is what church should be. This is what you do. Click, 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 click. This is who you are. This is how you function. He'll give principles like he gives a common, you know, human beings all have a kidney. My kidney's not your kidney, right? I mean, there's certain things in the, in the anatomy and the physiology of how he makes something where there's a pattern, there's a scaffold that supports life. But ultimately, you're absolutely unique. There never has been anyone like you, and there will never be anyone like you. And so... Um, in this uniqueness, you transfer that over and you think about church. You think about small, like I'm calling small C church, local church bodies, um, that, that he intends for church bodies to carry the DNA of capital C church, right? The church over which he is the head. There's a common DNA that runs through all of that, the body of Christ. But the genes that can be triggered in each of of those depend 
on this endless set of factors that God instigates and that we either embrace or don't embrace, right? I mean, the study of epigenetics, we can get in. Jen could just tell us a whole bunch about this, <laughs> right? But you don't have to trigger certain things. There are certain factors that have to happen that you move in that trigger, you know, what genes come into play in your life. So no two local expressions of the body of Christ are intended by God to be clones of each other. In God's plan, there's no two local churches that would be exactly alike. Jesus has unique places to go. He has unique things to do um, to fill up, fulfill on the earth for his glory. And, and he's got to have this endless variety to be able to do it. So in the context of church, he brings people together um, through divine synergy. That's a force, a divine drawing together. And the Greek for synergy basically boils down to being the, the whole um, is greater than the sum of the parts. Right? Dick has said that over us since the day we said, I do. He said, I do. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? And, um, and so that's really true about, about how God forms church. He brings divinely inspired people together because there's a divine synergy where the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So I believe um, synergy is the key to the greater works shall you do. Right? We talk about that individual claiming it and saying, God says, and believe in me and the greater works that you shall do. But I honestly believe that that greater works is given to the synergistic church. It's given to say, you can do more together than you ever could do apart. The greater works are because we're hanging together, right? <laughs> and um, so we can say each church, however big or small, carries a unique collective soul. I want to just introduce some language to us that we can work with, all right? So spiritual DNA is one of those terminologies. The, the collective soul is one of those terminologies. Um, the fact is, for God, for true God vision for a church, it has to be internally carried and expressed and not externally laid on top. That's where you have a lot of churches struggling when you have just you know, strong people at the top who, are, who just don't know their people, and they just go, so this is what we're going, get on board kind of thing. And we've never had that here. We've never thought that way. We don't have that hierarchical sense here. Um, and, and this is the reason why, because we have this strong sense that whoever God brings together, there is something we carry that when you pull it together, is unique and able to do greater works than we could ever do apart if we're just carrying that singly. So one of those strengths, I'll give an example, for Forge is worship. Would anybody deny that? I think, you know, if you, if, for those of us who've been around Forge for a long time, you know we just carry worship. All of us carry that individual, I mean, that, that gene within us, and it is released because we come together and, and worship is just high. I honestly believe that if we were not a people with that, that um, common DNA, that common corporate soul of worship, this church would not exist because I think it's the one thing that's held us together. That's why we're here. That's, that's my opinion. You know? um, if that were to go away, I don't care what else was going on. I don't think we'd be here. Um, so... 
discovering, you can click that. Discovering, oh, there was the divine synergy thing. Okay. You don't need to go back. So this should be discovering the common yearning, a common corporate soul in people creates a deeper sense of meaning. This is why it's important for us to figure out what this common corporate soul is, right? That there's, there, when we discover this common yearning, your DNA is going to come out by yearnings, by stirrings in your heart, okay? Um, it, it creates in people who gather together a sense of meaning for everyone. It releases the energy of heroic sacrifice. You just have people when they're together and they've got their common DNA and they know it. You just go, those are the most sacrificial people that they just pour out. They just give out. It seems like there's an endless supply from God to do the doing. Remember when we were talking um, uh, one of the couple of weeks ago or something, I was mentioning that I had gone back through um, revelation to the churches when, when the word of God was coming to the churches and wrote down all the things that were in the plus side of Jesus about the churches and how repetitive the word was toil, work, your hard work, <laughs> you know, your labor. All those words are in there and he's just really fine with that. But we can't sustain that without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're, you're around people who understand their common DNA, and there's a supernatural power and grace for heroic sacrifice that flows. It just comes from heaven, synergistically from heaven. Um, and it becomes almost like there's this self-evident brand that anyone um, can think about when they think about the church. Like, think about Bethel. Think about Bethel. First word comes into your mind. It's a revival church. I mean, it's right there. It's like their statement of we exist for revival, right? I mean, it's a revival church. Think about Central Peninsula Church. We go, a teaching church, right? Word, totally central, right? So when, when people understand their a group of people that God synergistically brings together and we get the revelation and clarity of what our common DNA is that we carry, then the rest of everything in terms of doing the doing and the outplay comes because it just, it just releases from heaven what God has ordained for us to carry. Okay. So how can we word some questions to get more clarity about our corporate soul? We can ask, what is God's unique fingerprint? Okay, some more language we can use. What's God's unique fingerprint for our church body? We might call it our unique missional bent. We can use that terminology. We can ask, how do we discern our corporate grace? So what's our unique rallying call, right? One, Those two, three, four. Four, there you go. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Done. Done. Got that one, chick. Until we, until we get clarity of what God uniquely has shaped in Forge, I believe we're going to be minimally effective. I'm just throwing that out for us. Until we get corporately um, clarity on what God has, how he has uniquely shaped us and what we uniquely carry, I believe that we're going to be minimally effective in terms of kingdom impact where we come corporately before God's throne and say, together we accomplished everything God had for us to do while we were here. 
So I've pondered, as all of us have to one degree or another, why so many people have come through FORGE and exited FORGE, and why um, we're so distilled as a group, and we're more distilled now than we've ever been. We get praise from people who come. I've never heard anybody walk away with a negative word. They've always taken us aside and said, this is incredible, this is fantastic. But they're here for a while and they go, or they come once and they don't go. Then we hear that they send other friends here going, you gotta go to that church, but me, not so much. So you wonder, like, you know, what, I, what is it that's going on? It makes no sense, it makes no sense, right? Um, but I believe now, the clarity that's coming to me is I literally believe I was thanking God for it. I literally believe that God, this is God's hand. And, and it's, it's his hand because if we were thriving in numbers, I, we, would never ask the questions that God wants to answer for us. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it really makes sense to me. So listen, always remember, here I'm just throwing this one in because it's really worth it. <laughs> okay, always remember unanswered or delayed prayer, delayed answers to prayer, are God's positioning for a greater answer than there ever would have been without the delay. We get so whiny and so complaining about delayed answers to prayer or, you know, where we think, oh, wait, God, you're stonewalling me, you know, whatever. Always, always, always see delayed answers to prayer in any way as God positioning you, positioning us for a greater answer to that prayer than we ever would have had if there hadn't been the delay. Push back on forward movement in the kingdom of God is God setting a spring under you, under us, for greater advance than there ever would have been. We've had a phrase that we've kicked around for years, and it's that, you know, you hit this wall and you go, oh, we're done for. Splat, roadkill, you know, we're done, the ministry's over, the whatever, you know, all the years that we've been doing varieties of different things, and we would hit it, and then God just finally told us this phrase, and he just said, you know what, I'm just positioning you to jump over the devil's head. If the devil says you're done, think higher than you've ever thought before, go higher than you've ever been before, push back farther, harder than you've ever pushed before, because any pushback, any shutdown in the kingdom of God positions you to jump right over the devil's head where you never would have thought to jump. You would have been so hunky-dory contented to stay right where you are because it was just sweet and going well. Okay? So I see that with Forge. I am so grateful that we are distilled because I do believe it's going to give us clarity now about this common DNA, this, this corporate soul, this, this individual no can't, can't be replaced, you know, your unique factor. Um, for Forge according to God's plans. So as I prayed and I pondered, it's led me on a path to think uh, to where I think I'm getting clarity on what Forge uniquely carries. And I'm just, as always, submitting it to you, right? I'm just going to submit to you what I think the clarity is that I think is coming to me. And you can see if, if it matches yours, okay? So to get clarity, click, um, you can connect the dots, right? We can connect the dots. You look at the root of the church. What's the root out of which this church was born? Because it's going to carry out of the root. It's like a tree. You've got a root of an apple tree. It's going to be an apple tree, right? 
Okay, you also look at what your leadership carries within them and what they dream about. You look at how a church body configures their space and gatherings to see what they value. And you look at the lives of the people and what they carry inside, what they long for, what matters to them. So I'm going to explore that, but not necessarily in that order. Okay. So let's look for a minute at Dick and I, and really the whole Patterson family as leaders and founders of Forge. Right. Dick and I spent years, um, really, you know, before before we were actually married, um, we were working with high school students. Right. So oriented towards towards high school kids. And then I went into a career after that of um, working in the schools with children. Um, my whole orientation and my education and my college education had to do with um, preparing myself to better help and lift up children. Um, with our first child, uh, we made a firm, absolutely clear, unequivocal, uncompromisable, if that's a word. You know, we would not compromise. We made this commitment to only engage in ministry. By this time, Dick was pastoring at a church, um, although I wouldn't let him call himself a pastor because I said all pastors lose their kids. We aren't one. <laughs> do, whatever, do whatever you want. Just don't use that name because it's bad luck. So with our, then finally we figured we're above that all. We could call it, take that name. All right, so with our first child, right, we decided that with this firm, uncompromised um, decision that we would never enter into any kind of ministry that was not a part of contributing to the spiritual growth of our children. If, people, if we were asked to do something and they would say, but you can't bring your kids, then we'd just go, got the wrong people because our kids are with us, right? So... We just, Deuteronomy 6 to us was our lifeline. The whole passage where it says, hey, you know, you know how you raise up disciples in the Lord? You walk with them, you talk with them, you eat with them, you just, you're with them day and night, you do life together, you go through hurts together, you go through joys together, you just think together, you learn together. I mean, we got that one like neon from God, right? And we said, okay, get that word together. We're not separating out from our kids. And so we ended up raising our kids in such a way that we could take them anywhere, anytime with us. I don't care who we were with. They could be there. And they were, you know, 99% of the time they were great. So that's, <laughs> I won't talk about the other time that was hell, but <laughs> it's doable. It's so doable. Okay, so you've got that inside of us. We're just looking at who we are, right? So everything we did had to match that roadmap and that goal to raise children to stand in the next generation. Everything that was our aim, right? Um, we wanted and carried with us and carry with us to this moment this consuming passion that says our life is about raising up the next generation to go higher than we can ever go and to leave a ceiling for our children and our grandchildren whoever associates with us to stand on that they go higher there's no devouring there's no back and everybody starts from ground zero none none you build a ceiling you build high you get a ceiling and you leave people there and you've rebuked the devourer the lord's rebuked the devourer and that generation goes higher so 
we had people um, describe us, our friends, our church friends. You know, I, I don't know if I ever told you the story, but um, we had one of the other pastors at this church come and say, you guys just work too darn hard at being parents. We, you exhaust us. You just work too darn hard. And they were, these were people who kind of shifted their kids off all the time, and they did their stuff, and they thought it was all working out okay. And, um, and so they said, here's, here's what we see. And, and they were saying, you work too hard. So it was kind of an insult. I thought, I don't think you mean that nicely. And then they said, look, what we observe of you is that you guys are like guerrilla trainers. You are like, you, you're homeschooling, and you're raising up your kids, and you're taking them everywhere with you and doing all this stuff, you know, so they're with you all the time. And so we see you like sort of gorilla trainers and you pull back into the mountains and you're training these gorillas and sometime you're going to just lose them on the world. And they were mocking. I mean, they were mocking. He was mocking, like, you know, a mocking thing. And I thought... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Since our kids were well behaved, 99% of the time, they were talking about the other kind of gorilla. <laughs> the GUE gorilla, yeah. I should, thank you for clarifying. And they said, sometime you're just going to release these gorillas on the world and, you know, take the world. And I said to him, I said, Thank you so much. I never could have put it in words, and I'll just carry that with me always. That's a great description of what we're doing. He goes, for us, we don't like that. Not so it's way, not so much. That is way too much work. He said, our style is you got a swimming pool, you take your kids, there's life, swimming pool. Throw your kids into the swimming pool, and you call directions at them, and they make it to the other side. I thought, except for the ones that drown. <laughs> and then they're so traumatized, they never want to swim again, get me out of this world, right? I mean, I thought, that is the craziest thing. I go, you take that analogy, I'm doing the gorilla thing. <laughs> so that's, you know, Dick and I have packed that gorilla warfare thing. We go, absolutely, that's what we are, gorilla training camp. So we were the first, for, for what Dick and I pack, you know, and our family packs, we were the first homeschooling family in the Bay Area, in this section of California, that we know of. Now, maybe there was somebody else. I vaguely heard of one woman who had 10 children who was homeschooling somewhere in California, but I never met her. So when we started homeschooling, we knew of no one, no one else who had homeschooled, and it was just something God told us to do, and some, you know, if any of you are interested, I can tell you that story. But we ended up homeschooling. It was two years later that really actually, about two, yeah, two years later, finally we had a support group after the first year, and then nobody was homeschooling. Second year, there was another family, and by the third year, there were several families, and we ended up having the first, starting the first model of Tuesday school, you know, where we gathered these kids together on one day, and, and we had this support group, and then, you know, Chia happened, and all the homeschool stuff happened, but that, none of that was around when us, we were just doing our gorilla thing, right? So then, um, we started this work out in Montana, and there's you know a long story about how we got influenced to do this. But the work in Montana really was something again that, that that you have to realize the significance of it because Ed Silvoso, with Transform Our World, still refers in his meetings to Montana as the point of the spear for breakthrough in the Bay Area. And we just go, huh? But that's how he sees it, and that's how he introduces it, and that's, you know, that's his perspective on it, right? So it was a work that really was of God. We look back on that now, and we go, there is no way that could have happened in the natural. 
But the whole, the interesting thing was, the way that work started, we were looking, uh, being influenced to do some city reaching, right? Montero, our little town, 1,050 homes, we'd get our arms around it. But what we, um, what we realized was that um, with that, people were counseling us to say, you, you, need to, you need to go to disciple men, not even just women. You need to get men to come to the Lord because any work that is going to last has to have male DNA and it's got to have you know, built, built on the men and then the women will come and the children will follow like a little caboose on the train. And, and so we thought, okay. And every time we started to envision that, we just got like a noose around our neck from God. And he's just going, oh, no, you won't. I don't think so. And we thought, well, what, what do we do? Because it just didn't come to our hearts. But here's the DNA. What God said so clearly was he said, the children are the heart of the city. The children will lead the adults. The children will impact. And it was exactly the opposite. I mean, everything we read, every but he'd ever planted churches or a work just said, you never start with the children. I mean, that's like a death knell, right? And we thought, God, this is a death knell. And he goes, well, go for it. So we ended up, that's what we did in Montera. Everything we did was about um, the youth. It was about identifying the youth, loving the youth. So I just, for the fun of it, I, I put together some slides, and I just want to tell you some of this. And it's not random. It's not random, and it's not just because it's fun to talk about. But it is really trying to get you to understand what is the root out of which Forge was born. Because when, when Forge, the root, is that a bad word? No? Oh, okay. All right. So the root out of what Forge out of which Forge was born, because God had said when when the work in Montero was finished after about seven or eight years, right? God had said the root of Montero is deep enough to support the breadth and the height of what I want to do from it. Right? And he gave us permission to go out of the city and off the coast, and that's how Forge was born. The vision of Forge came out of that route. So let me just connect you a little bit to the route. So we can do, I don't know if Ben's here to do this little slideshow thing. Where do you go? No. So can, do we know how to do it? It should, well, try pushing it, the next one. It's, it's supposed to come, yeah, here we are. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you, so uh, these are just odds and ends things, but what we did essentially, hold it for right there, and then we'll just go right through the slides. Yeah, just hold it right there. So, <laughs> hold it right there. Yes. Oh, look at, isn't he cute? He's so cute. All right. So what we did in Montera was we, we realized that Montera is just a town and a post office and like, you know, one little business or something. It was just a nothing, podunk thing. Parents were saying, what's the felt need in the town? Parents were saying, we have nothing for our kids to do here unless they head over the hill. And we don't, we don't want them going over 92. We don't want them going over Devil's Slide. There's nothing here. So when God said, you know, the, the, the heart of the city is in the children, get the children, and the children are going to lead the parents to the Lord. So we just decided to become um, the center of the city with a game night. So we rented a building I mean, if you sometime I'll tell you the stories of the fear and trembling with which we rented this $1,500 a month building <laughs> to, to run this game night out of and I mean we're just quaking in our booths oh my god oh my god oh my god what do we 
somebody signing on for, right? And this team of people, you have to realize the team of people that were with us doing all of this, Becca, the Webbers, all of these guys were part of that. Um, um, Maria was right in the middle of all of that. So there's a big, our, our family, you know, our, our sons, our future daughters-in-law were, you know, integrated in parts of times of that. So a big part of who we've distilled down to carry the DNA of this root directly, right? So we just became the city center and started this game night on Saturday nights. We did a game night on Saturday nights for the kids in Montana for seven years. Now tell me that's not absolutely supernatural. And it was all run by, you know, like the next, Dick and I are grandma and grandpa, you know, in this group. I mean, we're the only oldies and everybody else is like, you know, younger, younger adults and um, college age and whatever that would come through. And then so many people came through um, out of, that lived in different areas, out of Palo Alto, whatever, they would come through and have contact with um, people in Montero and the kids and work all the projects that we did. So this project that they were doing here, this was something that we um, designed as a way to get the community involved to um, get, fill the food bank. Um, and so we did a, what we did, a car rally. So. Of the 1,000 homes, 1,050 homes in Montero, we have, as a team, prayer walked and been on each doorstep in those cities 32 times? 32 times. 32,000 visits to doorsteps, right? With, the, with these guys, with all of us, right? So we would go, and every time we would do an event, and we would put something on a doorstep saying, fill this bag with food, it's a car rally, we're gonna get all these kids together in town, who were non-Christians, by the way, totally unchurched except for you know a handful, right? And we'd get these kids together, and then they'd do car rally, and they'd run around and find the ba baskets, the bags that had the food in it, and they'd all have a numbered egg on it, then they'd come back, and some of the numbered eggs had prizes, and then we'd all just have a party and a barbecue at the post office and that sort of thing. So we did all sorts of these things. We did, j just start going through some of the pictures here. Who's the other kid? That's Jonathan. That's Jonathan. Yeah. So we did things, we did things like this is, this is to the outreach. Do you see the insane bunny in the back and the, then the cute little bunny in the back? Yeah, right. So this was up in the Tenderloin and one of the housing projects, oh, yeah. right? Oh, we went yeah, up there yeah. and um, and did a and then we presented the gospel up there, right? So, but we got we got Montero kids to come up and do this kind of thing, right? So just keep going. I'll, I'll do them randomly. This, so this is a feast. So we we what we did was we got the kids who participated in our our we started some kids groups, Power Surge and Reach. And so every week we would come and pick up these kids at school who were hellions at school, by the way, and never had a Bible in their hand, and their families were primarily totally unchurched. And they would come into our environment, and they were awesome. And they came to the Lord. And so they end, we ended up discipling them in how to, for the strong to take care of the weak. Where's Maddie? There you are, girl. That's our verse, huh? How the strong take care of the weak. So here they are, Maddie. So they came into the tenderloin, and we put on, we said, no plastic plates, 
no tacky stuff for the poor. So we'd used, we went out and we rented fine china and silverware and Dick did all the catering and just did this incredible meal. And we brought in all these street people off the streets and put on a feast for the poor. And then we presented this creative way of presenting the gospel to them. In the, and then everybody got gifts and everyone went away blessed. It was just a wonderful thing. So, um, so here we are. There is... She recognized herself, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, keep going. And then we would, we would take um, kids out of, so he's got his little power surge T-shirts on. The kids who would come to our groups ended up putting these they got Power Surge and Reach t-shirts and Greenhouse t-shirts, right? Because this was all done under what we called the Greenhouse. And we talked to them about loving the poor. So we took the commonality of just saying experience precedes the principle. So let's just show you how to love, how to be kind. And then we're going to tell you why that feels good to you because Jesus, right? And then they come to the Lord. So we taught them how to love the, 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 weak, the strong, loving the weak, Maddie. Okay. And this was, again, at the feast. Um, these two little girls were in a, just a terrible home, and they all went away with gifts and hugs and prayers and everything. And this was another thing. We took um, kids up to, to uh, the Tenderloin. The girls did, came up, and we um, set up and transformed this whole feeding center into a place where they had little, there were beautiful little areas that were set up where the women off the streets could come in and get back massages. The girls did nails, right? They learned to give feet massage, foot massages and teach the, the people how to do foot massages. Um, and at the time, Ling, who some of you know, was part of Forge, and she has her esthetician license, so I think she did a couple of facials that day, just like yep. had a little facial booth in the back and yep. brought her friend that was the masseuse that did the yeah. massages. We had two of those and, and linked to. And then we also took, so everybody, all the kids were involved in this, and we um, gave several women a trip to the beauty salon. Um, that's the school up there, and they got um, all their hair just done. And so it was just Picture a delight. Right here. Yeah, yeah one. that one. That. So um, anyway, but again, discipling kids, raising them up to stand on your ceiling to love the poor. So keep going. All right, more of the feast where they were just learning to serve and love people. This little girl, right, but this, if you go back there, that little girl right there now is um, graduating from high school this year and um, came to the Lord through Greenhouse. And she had, I, I'm running in now to kids that are, they're, they're just about heading out of town now that some of them have, you know. But to run into them and just, they just say, Jan, if you were to start the greenhouse today, we'd be right back there. That was so great. And I had one girl just tell me, she's a young lady now, and just saying, you know, I don't know what my life would be like had it, had it not been there for me as a kid. You know, what, I would just be such a wreck and how I came to know Jesus. So the fruit is, the fruit of that root is very real. So just keep going. There we are. <laughs> There were other kids besides the Weber kids, but I thought you'd want to see them. <laughs> there we are. More trips to the elderly, more, more feasts, serving. So we taught them how to serve an elegant meal from the right and the left, right? Remember that, you guys? Okay. So this, we did something here with all, so trying to find a common thing to unite the community that was not starting a church, right? So we did something here about the displaced children um, in Uganda. 
And so we got all these teenagers who didn't know Jesus from anything, right? But they were really eager to do this. So they had to come down and sleep in cardboard boxes at the post office. And the post office collaborated with us and let us do it, right? And so they, we got these huge refrigerator cartons. And they came down. And they had to just all they could bring down was their bottled water and a sleeping bag. That's all they could have, right? And they came down. And there, there was a, a guy who, who came through town that was from Uganda. He actually came and talked to the kids about what was going on with the invisible children and, and all. And then they had to sleep overnight. And, and um, it was just a fantastic time. But so much um, unity brought to the town around common thread of, of loving humanity. So keep going. All right, but so we got the kids. They were doing car washes to try and raise money to feed the poor. Um, keep going. So here they were learning their, how do we do this foot massage for these ladies, right? Okay. They here they're making blankets now. Um, we, we connected the kids through the town to um, the shelter for um, abused women in San Mateo. And so the kids made blankets, and then they had to put together these little um, ba um, bags, you know, with stuffed animal and blankets, and then deliver them over to um, women's shelters. And Project Night Night, yeah, yeah, and Project Night Night. So here they're doing nails of the women who came in off the street. Again, um, raising, they're doing recycling and raising money for water for life. So we had kids in town who didn't know Jesus at all, not related to Christ at all, but this core group of a few Christian kids. These kids in Montero raised five thousand dollars to drill a well in Malawi, Africa. Another year they raised thirty-five hundred dollars. You what? You did? You did. Five thousand dollars. And and there was so there was like this thermometer in the post office, right? Going up, 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 showing what the community was doing till we hit the five thousand dollars drill the well. And then another time they did a, a water for life project and it was water for schools in Rwanda. 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 And uh, $3,500, you know, for a, w a well in Rwanda, all out of this little tiny community of gathering them together. Um, and then they're doing their game night, and then their parents are coming and saying, you know, my mother just died, and my aunt just died, and our neighbor just died, and my child is asking me all these questions. This is a real story. My child is asking me all these questions about God and heaven, and I don't know what to tell them, but I think you do. Could you just talk to my child? I said, yeah, we could talk to a few other children, too. So then we'd started Power Search. That's how it got started, really, was just saying, you know, will you, will you talk to my child? I said, sure. And then she just started bringing her friends, and then this program just ran for years, you know. And um, so keep going. So here they're doing yard sales. They raised, and that's how they raised a bunch of the money for the wells and the projects, and keep going. And so here, <laughs> here is the cooking group. So this was Power Search <laughs> and Reach Kids, who were the chief chefs, right? And so they learned to cook meals, and then they'll, they brought them up to the tenderloin into, where's Osagi? Oh. So they brought them up to the tenderloin into the tenement buildings and gave these really choice meals, you know, to people, okay? And this is game night. This little guy, I put him in, in the front, because his wife, his wife, his mother was, um, was a self-professed, well-known witch inside of Montero. And she just, you know, she was known as the witch in Montero. And this little boy was her, her son. 
And he came to all the game nights, and we got to preach the gospel to him, and then you know, he ended up moving out of town. Um, this girl in the back, you can just barely see her. Her name is Christina um, in the back. And she uh, was a part of our team, like Maria was too, kind of you know, interning, and ended up going back to, Monterra, back to Denmark. And she carries the root of Montero. We have, we, we FaceTime, and for many, she's been back there 10 years now. She had to leave because of a visa thing. And, but she is transforming um, her area of, of uh, Denmark. And in this church, and this, you, you would not believe the stuff she's doing. She's been able to be on, start a television program. She has this youth program that's just transformed the city. She does these outreaches with the same kind of thing with youth. And she has said, she said, Jan, everything I carry here is out of the root of Montero, right? So I'm telling you that for a reason. Okay. So here we are. This is, do you know Stephanie Vigold? She's been here, right? That's her son, Federico, who's now leaving for college. He's but the skyline right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. So Stephanie, Stephanie came to know Jesus through the greenhouse. She would just come and sit with Federico while they were playing, were playing all these wild games. And she'd be, and I'd go, who is this lady? She'd just kind of be reading her book. Like this. She gets this look. Like that, you know, it's her serious look. And she'd be doing her serious look. And then we just began to talk. And, and then she just came to the Lord. And now she's, you know, she's an amazing woman in the Lord. And here, you know, so we have just the kids, right? There's our, our, our um, greenhouse. That was the first greenhouse. Is that Becca? That's Becca. <laughs> and so, you know, just every way we could using drama, we would take at Christmas time, we would transform the whole greenhouse, the larger one, when we, we actually moved from the smaller one into a larger one with great fear and trembling to do bigger and better game nights. And, and then we began to be the center of the city. So we did dancing lessons. We did, um, we did photography lessons. We did cooking lessons. We did how to roast your own coffee lessons. We did every kind of lesson we could think about because we became the center of the city to be able to earn the right to have the children around us so they could impact the, the adults, right? What, so what's the difference between the power surge and the greenhouse and the reach? Greenhouse is reach. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Dawson. Oh, power surge was like the first um, grade of the youth group and reach was like the second year or whatever it was. Yeah, it was you just it was by age. Probably so it was like I mean, it was like first, second and third and then it went fourth, fifth, you know, up, right? I think it was yeah. And then First through fifth, and then it was middle school. Yeah, then it was middle school. The Montero ministry was the greenhouse. That's what we just called it, the greenhouse, because a greenhouse for us is, you know, planting seeds and nurturing life. That's why we named it that way. Um, so here we are, just you know, Easter outreaches on the property with kids in the neighborhood, and keep going. Okay, game nights, silly game nights. Keep going. Oh, go, go, just go back. Go back one thing. So this guy in the yellow, right? I mean, this, this guy and his sister were such sad kids. I mean, they had just come from this horrible, broken family, bad, and they just wandered into the greenhouse. And um, it, was, it was just great to be able to relate to them. You know, as they went back into a very hard life, they carried the gospel with them. And I wanted to just tell you this one story. There was this kid, we're, we're in the, the greenhouse, the first one, right? And we're just thinking, oh, what are we doing? We just got game night. What do we do? This little boy named Damien 
little cutest little, do you remember? Can you picture oh, yeah. cutest little kid in the world? <clears throat> he walks into the greenhouse. We're just, our team is just hanging out there, kind of praying, hanging out, right? He walks in the front door all by himself, no mother, nobody around. And he walks up and he goes, could you guys teach me about God? Hmm. And we looked at each other like, is this for real? You know, he goes, I heard that you guys could teach me about God. I said, well, yes, we could. You know, what's your name? Damien. And then he just comes in and he sits. He goes, well, <laughs> teach me about God. You know, it was just an amazing thing. We had kids around these tables, these little tables, Damien and his friends. And one little girl, we were reading out of a Bible, and she looked at me and she goes, where did you get that book? Could I get a book like that? I'm going, this is upper middle class America. They've never seen a Bible before, right? Could you get me that book? Like, yeah, we could get you that book, right? So just keep going. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Learning health and wholeness in Power Surge and Reach, of course. <laughs> so, family, so, so many of the families were touched because their parents came in with their kids, right? Keep going. Oh, this was, <laughs> that, you know who that is back there? That's Dick. He's the Gestapo. So we did, we did this thing on the persecuted church with the older kids. And so we had this whole, do you remember that? It was scary. Tell him, tell him, go tell him what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was, we were, trying to be like a church in China, right? And so the barn on your property was like our little hiding place that we would go to and we would carry little bits of the Bible with us on slips of paper and we would all come and read it together and we would try to make sure we didn't get caught by the scary police. <laughs> <laughs> the scary Gestapo. And they had, to, they had to make it through the woods, you know, at a certain time to get there so they weren't going to get caught. And, <laughs> and it looks like you had a pretty intimidating garden. Oh, they, they have a section of their <laughs> Yeah, with the Frisbee, right? They have a section of their property that looks like Sleepy Hollow with the trees there. That I had to make it through Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> okay, keep going. Right. So there we are. We're in the barn. And we're saying, shh, how do you carry your word? You know, what are you going to do with your little part of the Bible? And You remember, Maddie? I pointed it out. So this is our art. So he was a part. He would come to Power Surge, and, and he, we were doing something on manners, you know, because we did, we did things about all of life, right? And so he, would, he was when uh, Alien Manners. So we have these little DVDs where he is teaching the kids what not to do. He was the bad example. Our, our, anyway, he was well-beloved. <laughs> this is the kids are now. These kids have just come to the Lord, right? So they are taking and they are reading Bible verses and prophesying. This is a field right above their school, right above Fairlawn School. And so they're all there. There's a whole big crowd of them. I don't know if I put another picture in there of all of them, but maybe not. So anyway, there was, there's just a nice big crowd of all these kids who are now prophesying Jesus over their friends at school. So go next. All right, so this we took over the school, actually, the Farallon View um, uh, multipurpose room, and, and where, you know, I don't know what was going on there, something crazy. Like broom hockey. In the back. Yeah, and we would play, um, we would use <laughs> um, toilet seats and with, oh. <laughs> remember the <laughs> toilet seats for baskets and and rolled up toilet paper that was just streaming all over everywhere where the teams were, had to be on their bums, you know, just throwing all this paper off. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, 
All right, so the block party. So we would do several years in a row, we did this Christmas block party. It was open for the whole town. And we would take over a whole city block in front of uh, Weber's house, right? We'd take over the whole town block and set it up with booths. And, and we'd bring in the fishermen from the wharf, would bring in the ice. And then we would have these snowball fights, you know, against the Grinch, who was usually, who was usually Ben and Ann and Darren behind the Grinch, right? And so this is actually a sleigh where we had a sleigh race. The parents had to drag their kids around and throw <laughs> gifts down a chimney, and whoever won. Anyway, go ahead. It was crazy. This is just all the, the things. This is block party stuff. There's making block party stuff. The team! The team! And there's, okay, so there is Ian taking a nap before. See, all that's the stuff for the setup oh, yeah. of the. I think that's the nose. <laughs> and that's, yeah. So resting before all the work and the labor. Okay. So we took over the coffee shop down in Montero. We brought the kids in and opened for the whole town to come and hear the kids sing the gospel. So every time we would do the block party, there was always a part where Becca would dance, Kimberly came and danced together one time, Amara would dance, and they would, would do, you know, the, and, and then we would sing the carols. You could never do this in this neighborhood. These are the most liberal people in the world. And, but they just melted. They just melted. Um, and, and received it all, and everyone was singing, hark, the herald angels sing. You know? And then we did, um, we would, wherever we would go, we'd do these presentations on the gospel of either at Easter or Christmas. Ha! <laughs> Guess who that is? That's the Christmas leper. What is it? That is good. <laughs> all right, so the Gestapo guy. <laughs> and there's Maria in the back. Can you see her? Yeah. Okay. So we did a live we did a live nativity. We brought in the live animals and you know for the town to be able to come down and experience the live nativity. And then Dick at the end of it he goes, he didn't have a costume and he said he came out and he said, I'm going to be a leper. I said, I don't think he's in the story. But it was the best thing because everyone came up to him and they were going, Are you a part of the story of Christmas? Well let me tell you. you know, <laughs> he had more setups for telling the story of Christmas because he was a leper at the Christmas. Simon, <laughs> Simon the leper. Simon the leper. Okay, keep going. There we are. Oh, go back. Where's Julia? Julia wants to see. There you are. So this is the city all there. Oh, no, I wanted to, yeah. So just everybody gathered around. And then we gave gifts to everyone. Becca made these wonderful cupcakes. We got these little cupcake boxes. We gave everybody who came, you know, gifts. And so go to the next one. This man here who came and participated with us, and his, his son actually was the guy who was doing the carrots, um, he uh, came to the Lord. He was baptized. And then he, he left the area. He had horrible physical problems. He ended up taking his own life. But he, the day that he took his life, his Bible was open. He was crying out to God. And, um, and I just, I, you know, we prayed so hard over him and his family. And the fact that he is with Jesus is so incredible. Oops. Okay, that's probably, just, just go whatever there. <laughs> A wise man gone mad. Snowball fights, kill the Grinch. <laughs> It's ice ball. Yeah, ice ball. Annie came, told Annie, our, our precious Annie, came and told, uh, gave a testimony that just had the kids in tears, you know, again. Um, that's the greenhouses. Okay, let's keep going. They learned how to fix bikes. Um, James came and told them, showed them how to fix bikes, and we did all that kind of stuff. Okay. There they are at the school. 
um, raising money for the poor. Here they are, trucking the streets of the Tenderloin. <laughs> okay. All right. So I just out of that, that glimpse of, do you see where the heart and the root of Montera is really about the youth? It was God said the children are the, the key to the transformation of the kingdom. And then you go, the kingdom is in the children. The, ki- the kingdom, the children carry the kingdom, right? So, all right, let me, um, let me just go on here for a minute. Um, I want to just read a word because this is, this is what I believe is a word. It was given to Dick and I. It was spoken over Dick and I uh, from Bethel. And um, I want to give this word, but I want to release it here because I believe if I'm right, then you can claim this word. And I'll explain more about that as we go. But All right, so here's the word over Dick and I. I feel like throughout your lives you have been so obedient, incredibly obedient. He's so pleased. There is so much favor on both of you. There's so much favor on your ministry, and it is because of your obedience. You have created this awesome thing, this legacy. I want to highlight some words for you. This legacy. It's like Pastor Bill here has been talking about how this, his generation, how his generation, they are building this platform for the younger generation to stand on and they go higher. And I feel like you are creating this incredibly high platform that so many people are going to be launched out of your ministry, that both of you are going to raise up an incredible amount of people. And the awesome thing is that all the things those people go out and do, you will be able to share in that blessing. You will also get to share in the harvest that they have. You will also get to share in the joys that they have, in the things that they do. It will be yours also. The people you send out, the things that they do are going out from there, and the people they send out, it will trace back to you forever and ever and ever, on and on and on. There's a huge legacy that you are building and creating. It's not finished yet. It is huge, and it's big, and it is growing and increasing. And every person that comes out from you, they will go out and increase. The blessings on their life will come back at you more and more. So I just want you to hear the legacy, the outward business of it all. I just saw a rainbow. This is all part of these words. I excerpted. I just saw a rainbow, and to me that represents a covenant and a promise, and the covenants that the Lord has made with you, and the promises that he has spoken into your hearts are going to come to pass. And it is going, is not going to be a matter of it, uh, but, but when. It's not a matter of if, but when. It's just a matter of your being expectant and knowing that you know that God's going to fulfill his promises because it is his heart to bless you and to keep his word. He is a man of his word. I also feel like the Lord is making you two, both of you, and you are unified and you are walking hand in hand and your arms are locked together and you are on a firm foundation and your roots go down deep. Just if you pick up these words... And you guys are doing this thing, and it's like nobody's going to be left behind. Nobody's going to be forgotten. 
but we are going to do this together and we are going to press through and run toward the goal and the reward that the Lord has for both of you together. And I just really believe that God has firmly almost cemented you two together and your unity is just so strong. And I feel you guys are a mom and a dad to so many people. I feel like you guys have so many spiritual children, probably more than you can count. I feel like you guys have just so much to offer and you have deposited so much. I feel like you are ones that years and years and years from now, generations way ahead are going to look back and they are going to say, oh, that was Dick and Jan. We did this and this for my great-great-grandfather and he did this for me. And it goes all the way back to them. And I feel like you've just deposited so much. You've just deposited so much and just years and years and years from now, people are going to be able to trace the mystery all the way back. So the reason that I, I want to release that to you is, you know, exploring this business of look at the root of your church is out of Forge when, when that's, uh, excuse me, out of Montera. When that closed down and God said the root is deep enough to sustain the height and the breadth of what I want to do out of this route. And that's when he took us off the coast, and that's when God gave the, the vision for Forge, and that's in the, in the midst of that vision for Forge came, I want my family back. I want my family back. And carry into that, if you look now at Forge, okay, um, you, if you look at, um, let me see where I want to take it. Um, Okay, look at, look at how Forge configures itself. Let's look at our, ch our church and our space. Everything about this church is multi-generational community. Everything about it. I can honestly say if it wasn't multi-generational community, we wouldn't be here because we couldn't be here. We're half right? the congregation. And you are half the congregation. Literally, God has distilled us down where we are half the congregation. Children and youth are half of us, right? It's just beautiful. And you're not just a half that's considered to be the youth and the kids. You are an integral part. You're the leadership that we're building up. It's, you know, you are, you guys are, are just all of us, right? I mean, there isn't any distinction between the children and and the adults here, right? We are a multi-generational community. We make our worship is designed so that children are a part of it. They're not to be off somewhere else. Our raising up our children so they can be in the midst and hear things, right? I mean, have them here, all of that. Look what we do. Um, if you look at the lives now, as I, I kind of wind it down here, if you look at the lives of all of you guys as 4Gs, right? Half of our church are youth and children, fully integrated. Maria and Endelisa are, are in our midst, you know, but um, without children of their own. But I have to tell you, I know them well, and they carry the same heart, spiritual mother's heart, spiritual father's heart. Maria was the one who gave the first gift. When, I, when the vision of the school, I was out to dinner with her. She's the first one who just, she just got out her checkbook, wrote me the substantial check and said, I don't know what you need to do with this here. I mean, she put the seed money down for what's going to happen with the school. Indelisa jumped right onto that. The moment she heard about the need of the children, you know, and the whole educational vision right there, starting up, you know, inviting people into her, 
her business and her shop and, and, and putting together something all for the children, right? They just, they carry it, right? So let me give you um, what I think the clarity is that's coming to me and wind it up. The unique DNA of Forge that shapes our ultimate contribution to the kingdom is for legacy. It's for legacy. It's for boosting the next generation onto our shoulders and launching them higher than we could ever go ourselves. I believe we all carry that. There's three life verses. You can um, click that. There's three life verses that I think we carry, and I actually thought of one more driving down here, but Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That is over us. Claim that as a life verse. And, and we claim the fact that the devourer cannot take anything we do back down to ground zero where people have to start from the beginning and move up. We are people who leave a high starting point for the next generation, whether it's your own children or, and, and what I've heard um, just recently is that this is not just about the next generation of you, you know, coming up age-wise, but this has to do with something you carry. You carry an anointing for leaving a legacy that others can build on. If, that, if that's your job, if that's your, you know, your work, wherever you are, whatever you're ministering, you have the right to walk into that environment and claim that nothing will ever go below where you leave it when you leave. It will go up higher and higher. You have that anointing and that authority on your life. You are about the next going higher at whatever you put your hand to. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You are about leaving inheritance to generations. And greater works than these shall he do because I'm going to the Father. When you leave the scene, when Jesus left the scene, he said, that's when the greater works start. You can go beyond me. That's the anointing that is on you in Forge, the greater works. You carry it, and when, when, you know, when we're out of here, you carry it on higher, right? Same way at whatever you put your hand to. All right, so I, I want us to pray. I want, there's a couple of things. There's a, a word that I want to give from Kenneth Copeland over our little tiny children. Um, and then I want to prophesy um, and decree and transfer and stir up among us. And, um, and we're going to minister. Okay. Can I share a couple of things? Yeah, please do. Jan and I were kind of talking last night. I think she's had some conversations with other people as well around yeah. what would you call it, just kind of what's, what's the vision of church for, for us. Um, and, you know, one of the things that came up in that conversation is, I, you know, I just, I said to her, I was like, well, you know, if you look at, like, what's, what do we all have in common, right? We all have different passions, different things that we're kind of doing individually, but if you look at kind of the common thread, it's like it really kind of comes down to, you know, how, like the intentionality with which people are doing their calling, right? Like, I mean, all of the families that have school-aged children homeschool and have been very intentional about those decisions. Um, and, you know, so I, was, I just, you know, mentioned that, that there's something about that family aspect and that generational aspect that mm -hmm. e everybody shares. So even though, you know, the way Dick and Jan have lived that out looks different from how, you know, others are, there's that core value that unifies us. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So, you know, I think with kind of, you bring it kind of 10,000 feet up to legacy, but where does legacy begin? If you think about legacy, it really does begin at the family level, right? Okay. You have this legacy from your parents, your grandparents. That's kind of the generational blessing. Or even, you know, thinking to our Jacob, you know, series, and even now Joseph, you know, who is, you know, came out of that same family. What do you see? There's this generation. God works through families, and he works through the generations. And um, so I just wanted to add that to, Jan, what you yeah. have shared today and just saying, you know, like if, if we were to sit here and go, yeah, you know, what other church lets, you know, kids have My Little Ponies on, you know, TV trays, you know, and, and what, sit in a circle. That's something more like a family would do around a campfire than people would do at church. You know, we, we have a meal all at one table. Well, that's something more a family would do than, than how we think about traditional church. And so there's a lot of ways that I think that core core value does drive a lot of how we show up, if that makes sense. Um, and you know, it's just, just interesting to observe, you know, and, and how we show up kind of corporately, but also how, you know, how you guys are showing up, you know, how all of us are showing up individually throughout the week and how we're structuring our lives, you know, to prioritize that, that understanding that, like, there's, there's a huge value that God has on the family and working through the family, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Physical families, family of God, yeah. it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's just right kind of that, there. almost like, if, even if you were just taking family away from this, you know, biological family, yeah. just the principle of how a family operates. Yeah. You know, like in no other church does a guy that hasn't been for a couple months come in and everybody like stops and comes <laughs> and gives him a hug. But if you were walking into a living room after you had been there for a few months, that would happen, right? Yeah. So, you know, even that, I feel like it kind of speaks to the that core DNA mm -hmm. of kind of a family way of operating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, let me... Let me just um, pray over us first. Well, I, actually, I want to read this word over the children. And now, Ellie is not here today. Declan's out with his daddy, right? The little one, Jocelyn's not here today. Um, I'll just read this, and maybe we'll do it when they're all here. Maybe the next. Well, how? I don't know. Here's here's a word. Uh, it's I excerpted out of Kenneth Copeland, who I trust as a prophet, and um, this is for 2017. He's it's in the middle of it. But he says, but watch for the children. Watch for the children coming forth with miracle working power manifest around them. And they are just children. And they will be just children. And I am not talking about 15 or 20-year-olds. Of course, they're involved. But, saith the Lord, watch the little ones. A child shall lead them. So I just want to... Can we just join in that right now for our little ones? Father, in the name of Jesus now, we just receive this yes. prophetic word over, um, over Madeline, God, over Declan, over Jocelyn and Ellie, God, um, our littlest ones in the midst here, God, over, um, over Seth, Lord, and um, Father, I just thank you. And, and over Julia, you're down there. But the little tiny ones, especially, right? You're kind of up there down there, right? So, Lord, we just pray now over these little ones, especially, God, that your word now from the prophet is saying, watch them. And we do watch them, Lord. We watch them, and we are expectant now to see miracles, miracles surround their lives, Lord. 
um, and we praise you and bless you. We claim that word. We just reach into the heavenly realms and we claim that word for our children now in Jesus' name. And so if you have children in your family, Lord, I just, I, I decree this over Darren's kids, Darren and Alicia's kids too, Lord. But we just thank you so much, Lord, for this word and we receive it and um, go for it, Jesus. Just go for it with our kids in Jesus' name. Amen. And then I just want you to hold your hands out minute here. Father, um, Lord, whatever it is that is out of the root um, from which Forge has been birthed, God, the root of legacy, the root of building high in the spirit, and leaving in place a high ceiling that others use as their floor to go on, Lord. I thank you for stirring that up in us, for imparting that in deeper ways to each of us, that we would um, enfold it, that we would embrace it, that we would, um, we would move in that reality, Lord, within our homes, within our relationships, within our workplaces, within whatever. You told me this morning, Lord, whatever. This is not just about the children, but it is a, um, an anointing for legacy that says, in the job that you hold, whatever you put your hand to, you are anointed by God to leave a high ceiling that others will stand on and go higher. And so I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you. You just said, leaving the next generation higher and better. <clears throat> and that means whatever context we are working in, God. Father, I thank you for that reality. I ask you now that each of us, God, together would um, embrace, if this is true, that we would embrace this foundational core DNA, this fingerprint of unique, this unique factor, God, that will inform and shape how we um, influence the kingdom, the influence that we have for your kingdom, God. Um, we ask for more. We say more, mm. more, mm. more, mm. more, mm. more, God. Mm. And, um, and we praise you and bless you, God, for what you're going to do out of that in Jesus' mm. name. So the last, the very last thing I'm just going to mention is that I feel like two years ago, and I'm just, again, I only submit stuff to you guys, okay? I feel like at least two years ago, God told me that the movement of schools to reform education, the movement of wisdom schools that he wants will be birthed out of Forge. There's no need for it to be birthed out of Forge. It can be birthed out of directly our, our you know, 501c3, Bay Area Ministries. But I feel like God said to me, it will be birthed out of Forge. And I kept thinking, but why out of Forge? First, it was a technological reason having to do with ADA compliance and all in a church school. And I thought, that's not it. That's not it. And as I've sat with that now, I really believe that the DNA for the birthing of this movement of schools is inside, is in Forge. And um, so I just want to submit that to you. I will tell you more about that vision just because I want to submit it to you. 
I mean, it's a huge vision. It's a vision that says God wants his arms around 55 million children in this nation. And he wants them in wisdom schools, and he wants them paid for by mm -hmm. spiritual fathers and mothers. Mm -hmm. Well, so there is something to believe for, right? Um, but it's a legacy. It's, I mean, everything in it, everything in it comes out of this whole idea of the root and the legacy. And so I'm just going to leave that with you. It may be God. It may not be God. I always just submit it to you, and you guys can confirm or Me not too. confirm. But um, all right. Let me close.